Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to DraftKings Network. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that boss the next. Big job there from Duffy and Frank Mir is hurt now. They're a couple of absolutely self-involved bull artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Headshot, bang! All right, Anakin Florian Podcast back in your life, and it is great to be with you for a second time this week, just days in advance of UFC 286. This is our 396th episode presented by DraftKings. Not in London just yet, but very excited to be there and very excited to have off the top of the show today. You may know him as a regular contributor here or on Severe MMA or SureDog.com. The great Sean Sheehan is with us back from a wedding and squeezing us in. Good evening, sir. How are you? How are you? I'm not too bad. I have have a little friend with me as well here. Look at this. Look what I found. Gone through (laughs) my uh, (laughs) cleaning out my office the other day. I was like, I have to show that. exactly like that. It's amazing the presence you get as an MMA fan in Ireland <laughs> growing up when no one else has heard of MMA anything. They see UFC, oh, yeah, I'll buy that for Sean. Like, he yeah. for like six months and give it to him for his birthday. You know, so I, I got Kenny for my birthday one year, so it was great. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you're listening and not watching, was that a Kenny Florian action figure? Is that it what was? That yeah, <laughs> amazing. Fully movable. Look at the shark. Look at that widow's peak. That's phenomenal. We'll have to talk off the air about how much you might be willing to sell that to me for, but uh, that's a conversation for another day. (laughs) Hey, so I heard you talking to our producer backstage before the start of the show about Christian Leroy Duncan, who makes his UFC debut this weekend. So might as well pick your brain on him. Former Cage Warriors champion, a lot of potential. Your thoughts on him coming into the big show this weekend, my brother. 
I was doing a podcast with someone recently, you know, a fellow person who kind of covers the, the UK, Irish, European scene. And we, I kind of asked the question, if you had to pick one person from the whole scene who you think could be a future UFC champion, who would it be? And we both picked Christian Leroy Duncan. That's, I think, how good he is. He's wow. He hasn't had many fights. I think he's only, what, eight, nine fights into his career, but he's had a lot of experience as an amateur. And, you know, Ian Dean is the, the matchmaker over in Cage, where he's a, a brilliant mind and a brilliant guy doing it. And he's been giving him tougher tests after tougher tests. Some guys, you know, you have to go and you have to watch a lot of fights over in Poland or in Russia to see how good they are. You watch those fights, go, oh, this is going to be a tough test for Christian Eri Duncan. And then he swallows him up in a round. That's the type of fighter he is. He's a phenom, really good athletically, good underground, good wrestling, but brilliant striking. And with the middleweight division the way it is at the moment, I think he can climb quickly. And you, uh, you see by the matchmaking, because UFC matchmakers know as well, he's fighting Dusko Tatorovic, who's, you know, a good fighter, who, knockout power, has had a lot of UFC fights, so he's not getting a gimme straight away at all. But I think he'll be well able for it. You know, you never know what the, the, the UFC jitters and all that. So let me, sure. give me a, a little bit of a fallback here. But I think he has a really, really, really high top end ceiling. And I'm, I'm really uh, looking forward to seeing now where he can go. It's uh, exciting watching him. I love it. All right. So when we have you on and we got to make it a monthly thing, I always feel like I'm chasing the clock. Any number of different directions in which we can go. But I want to start with Marab Dwalishwili, if I could, because we're only a few days removed from his main event win over Piotr Jan. And I'm hearing guys like Kenny Florian and Ray Longo and Matt Sarah suggest that they've never seen anything quite like this guy. You've got a very good historical framework for this sport, for the Bantamweight division. Um, are we getting a little bit too superlative? I'm not sure that any Anybody has weaponized pressure quite as well as he had against against elite competition. Your thoughts on Marab over uh, over Piotr Jan last weekend? See, I think the difference between Marab and a lot of other people uh, from years gone by who would, I suppose, be looked at as very strong, dominating grapplers like John Fitch and Yushin Okami and even GSP to a certain extent and others. It felt always like they preyed on the weakness of their opponents. So I, John Fitch was a better wrestler than almost everyone he fought was able to take him down and kind of, you know, de destroy lots of guys that way. We're in an era now where everyone, like Perian included, is massively well-rounded. So to be able to do that to fighters who don't have that gaping weakness in their game is just <laughs> it's just another level. It's it's grand. Like anyone could come out and wrestle me and take me down and destroy me. But to, to do it to Kenny Florian, to do it to Perriano, to do it to any, anyone in the UFC at, at a high level is a different sort of thing. And for Marab, it's, it's special because like, I looked at Marab and, you know, we're obviously the Raylong girls involved here and everything and they're big uh, Raylong fans and big Marab fans and everything like that. But I, I wasn't convinced. Honestly, I wasn't convinced that that style could get to a high level. It's all the style because he's so good at it could always work up until a certain level. But I was kind of thinking like, there's so many missed takedowns. There's so much pressure put on. Can he keep this going over five rounds? And it actually got better over five rounds. And it, right. it's a way, uh, you know, we, we talk about, uh, you know, obviously I always come on and talk about judging over three rounds. There's issue. There's an issue with that style because it, let's say, you know, Chido Vera, the way he's won a couple of rounds recently, he's lost and lost and lost big shot you lose the round. That can happen to Marab because Marab won five rounds at the weekend. Not one of them was close to a 10-8. We weren't even talking about 10-8s, right. you know? So one big shot, big knockdown can happen. You lose a round. For that to happen twice in a, in a three-round fight is, you know, is very possible. For that to happen three times in a five-round fight or more is, is more unlikely, especially with the way you get to the 
you know, the latter half of the second round into the third round and you can no longer breathe, never mind punch him in the face, you know? Yeah. So it his style works so much better. And the, the, the one thing is, well, and I, I kind of put it out there and people are taking it as a negative and it wasn't. Like, I, I, I think he broke the record. He, I'm pretty sure he did for the most missed takedowns in UFC history. Yeah, had to <laughs> in, yeah. in the fight, he had to have. But that's, uh, in a three round fight, I think that's a negative uh, in some ways. But in a five round fight, it's a positive because when he misses those takedowns, like some of them were given his takedowns and he wasn't even trying to take him down. He was just trying to push him into the, the cage, push him in against the clinch. And you saw Longo got very, very easy uh, instructions. Takedown, strike, takedown. Like right. you've three things to do and the two of them are the same, you know? And he just <laughs> did that for 25 minutes yeah. nonstop. And if you can do that for 25 minutes nonstop against a high level guy like that and just shut down their complete game, it makes you the most well-rounded fighter in the world because you can shut down every single part of another guy's game. And to do that to a guy who has everyone, uh, I assume we've all gone back and watched that Magomed Magomedov fight uh, at this stage, the second one, where for 25 minutes, Jan just stopped every single takedown. He did it for most of this fight, especially early in the fight. And to still be able to beat him and end up you know, kind of destroying him towards the end, it was phenomenal. So it's, it's, it's very different from the old school grapplers we had who were dominating guys who had issues. He's dominating a guy who has, okay, everyone has issues, but not the type of, type of gaping holes that people in the past had. Sean, I want to rewind a little bit because we haven't talked to you since the last pay-per-view. Uh, what do you think of John Jones's performance and, and where does he sit in the GOAT talk for you? Oh, God. I, I, got, I, I got into this the other day and I wished immediately I hadn't got into it. Uh, I Look, in my opinion, there's there's four people in the conversation. One of them is up behind me there, Demetrius Johnson. Uh, the other is, is John Jones, Anderson Silva and GSP. The, those to me are the four. A lot of people are getting yeah. on to me, Jose Aldo. I love Jose Aldo. He, if there was a fifth, he probably would be the fifth for me. But I think it's those four, and we can argue who you think. I think Demetrius Johnson because I think the greatest fighter of all time is the best fighter of all time, is the most skillful, and just for me, he is. But if you look at what John Jones has done, it's very hard to argue against him. Look, it's, it's, it's hard to argue against any of them, to be honest, and it's easy to argue for all of them because they're so good. But on his performance itself, uh, do you know what? For uh, as, as a purely someone who loves to analyze fights and talk about fights and is a fan of the fights. It was a bit disappointing because we didn't see more, you know, and yeah. especially I was there, you know, half six in the morning or whatever it was. And it felt like the fight was over before it was even over. They showed the, the reaction of, of John and the guys in the, the commentary and they're all like kind of looking at each other like what happened there? And right, we, okay, right. we saw the replay and we saw what did happen. So that was fine. But it just felt like we were kind of robbed a little bit of seeing John Jones. You get me? Because like, there's, if he goes in and fights Stipe, we still have those questions like, can John Jones produce at heavyweight over, you know, 25 minutes? Is John Jones's game going to be as uh, useful at heavyweight as it is at light heavyweight? And we can all have our assumptions about that. And I think most of those assumptions would be positive now, but there's still assumptions we don't actually know. So for that to kind of be taken away was uh, was unfortunate. But still, Jones went in there. He, like the only thing we really saw proven on on that Saturday night was that Cyril Gann's ground game is, you know, very suspect. And uh, John Jones took complete advantage of of that. But you have to be that good to be able to take advantage of it. So he proved that in one way. But 
you know what he did prove that his next pay-per-view is going to be a massive seller i think because everyone's going to want to oh, yeah. tune in to see john jones fight again so it's a, a little bit of a negative i suppose in that way a positive for john jones because he got the win but a massive positive for john jones because like if he managed to get there the next time for the big fight uh, against steve everyone will be absolutely dying to see what he looks like again because all those questions are, are still left unanswered Severe MMA, Sean Sheehan with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. How critical were you on your show shows to Seattle gone? Fairly critical, to, to be honest. Um, I, I like it's very tough for me to, to sit here at home and go that, you know, how do you find yourself in that choke when you are that level of fighter? But also like you have to do that, I think. Like you 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 look at a fight where I where he fought um, Francis Ngannou and he got beaten in a similar sort of way to everything that came before the choke, right? He got taken down with a body lock over and over. Uh, if people might remember, Francis Ngannou didn't take him down once with like what you would call like a regular takedown. No double legs, no single legs. The I think he got like five, six takedowns. One was when Gan kicked like above his head and Francis kind of slammed him. Oh, yeah. all, all the rest were body lock, you know, muscle takedowns, if you want to say it that way. And that's exactly what John Jones took him down with. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what is going on here? Like, how the first thing, like two minutes into a fight, you get taken out. Like, if you got taken out with a single leg or a double leg or something different, I could have said, okay, fair enough. But God almighty, when you're taken down by that, and then you get caught in a submission, John Jones completely takes off the submission, readjusts himself, goes back in, gets the submission again, and then you get tapped. I'm like, you know, I'm not, I'm not BJJ yeah. black belt or anything like that, but that doesn't look good. That is not good. And he, yeah, he no, it looks it. worse upon the rewatch, honestly, yeah. when John bails on it and then with relative ease sinks it right back in. All right. A few other things that I want to get to with the great Sean Sheehan. So in terms of the altitude as a factor in the first fight, or excuse me, the second fight between Leon Edwards and Kamar Usman, right? So they fought in August, last August, UFC 278, and Leon Edwards was largely listless in those middle rounds. So some people, when they are handicapping this trilogy matchup, they're talking a lot about altitude. Even Gilbert Durino Burns suggesting that he is picking Leon Edwards because he just expects him to be better. Um, and Teddy Atlas said to me this week that when a champion wins the title, they become 30% better. Now, that's not necessarily his theory. I do subscribe to that philosophically. I think you win the belt, you become 20% better like instantly. Well, Alexa Grasso, Leon Edwards, instantly 20% better. But to what extent, if you can get predictive with me, do you think that the altitude should be factored into a handicap for the main event this week? I'm, I'm not sure, to be honest. Like, I, I think the second part of that is is more of a concern in terms of how much better has Leon gotten, how much worse has Kamaru got, or how much better it has made Kamaru. We don't know. We don't know that answer. Like, the thing on the, the, the champions, uh, you know, getting 20% better as well, I always thought something Rashad Evans once said always stuck out to me. He said, I won the title, and the next morning I woke up and I was the same guy. I was like, I thought everything would be different. I thought my whole life would change, but it really didn't. You know, I was just a fighter who had to train hard every day to, 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 to fight my next fight, even though I had the belt. And like, that's not the same for everyone now. And, and, and you know, maybe, maybe Leon is a, a different uh, mentality to that. But I'm sure there is a bit of that there as well. And you have to kind of climb over that hurdle to get to that 20% to go into your next fight. So that's an interesting thing. Like, none of this is a given. Like, you, you would think, 
Usman getting knocked out, it's a given he might not be as confident going into this, but not necessarily. He could right. be, his whole mindset could be, I can't believe that fucker knocked me out. I'm going to go in here and do absolutely everything. I'm going to train as hard as I've ever trained before and go in there and beat him. So we, we really don't know. Like, I, I think the knockout part is, is a massive part as well. Cause I, I think I mentioned this on the show before, but I spoke to Michael Bisping once and talked about the Dan Henderson knockout. And he told me the next time he came to fight, he was backstage and he was thinking, Oh my God, the last time I was fighting, I got knocked clean out the most embarrassing thing my, uh, you know to ever happen Usman is in the exact same position now going into this fight like how will that mentally play against him I don't know and it's it's so, like it's such an interesting fight to break down from a tactical point of view because like I think most people would agree before the last fight after the last fight that Usman is like slightly ahead in terms of a technical fighter and a tactical fighter and got caught with a big knockout, which was great. There was no, no piece of look about it whatsoever. If anyone says that they're a bullshit artist, he set it up, landed the shot, knocked him out. Not, nothing at all lucky about it, but throughout the whole, you know, 23 minutes of the fight or whatever we saw, apart from the first round, apart from, uh, you know, parts of the fifth round, Usman was the better fight, but what a fighter, sorry. But what if he's 5% less? Like is, Edwards good enough to take advantage if he's 5% yet less. And I would say yes is the answer to that because Usman is a, like a massively well-rounded fighter. I was talking about it on the podcast this week. Like, is he the best striker in that division? No. Is he the best wrestler in that division? No. Does he have the best cardio in that division? He's up there, but I would probably say no. Like, he's not the best at anything in that division, but there's no one as well-rounded as he is. If you yeah. have an issue anywhere, whether it's mentally, as Usman might have, whether it's wrestling, obviously, which Usman doesn't have, whether it's striking, whether it's cardio, whatever it might be, he will take advantage of it. If you're, you know, if the crowd is roaring at you and you come out, all the English crowd behind uh, Edwards, and you can't handle that, he will take advantage of it. So this is a fight, I think, where we saw the last time, Usman needed to be perfect, and he wasn't. And I think he needs to be again. Nothing, you know, usually we say that with like, if you're fighting McGregor or a big knockout puncher or something like that, you have to be perfect. But with, with Edwards, it's a little bit different because you throw away around, you throw away two rounds. It's a very, very tough position against someone as well around the same. So there's so many different integers. I, going into the, the, the second fight, Honestly, I wasn't that excited about it, to be honest. I wanted to see the Shamaya fight. And I wanted to see a couple of right. other fights. But now I'm massively excited oh. for this one because there's, there's so much we just don't know. Some people billing it as the singular biggest fight in UK mixed martial arts history. We asked our listeners and viewers poll question on the Anakin Florian podcast, and I wanted to throw this your way, Sean. I don't need any long form answer necessarily, and I don't even know necessarily how predictive you're forced to get on your show. But of the four fighters atop the marquee at UFC 286, and I'll list them in order of betting favorite, largest to smallest. Kamar Usman, Rafael Fazeev, Justin Gaethje, Leon Edwards. In whom are you most confident to get a win this weekend? And overwhelmingly, while well, 40% of respondents said Kamar Usman, which is a high percentage, um, who are you most confident in, in terms of the big four this weekend? I, I, I don't know. Do I have an answer to that one, to be honest? Um, right, my, my two picks are, are Usman and Fazeev. Um but I'm not massively confident confident in either of them, to be honest. Like, do you know one thing? I think a lot of people are writing off Justin Gaethje very easily here. We forget how good of a fighter Justin Gaethje actually is. And I, I just wonder if he'll add in something a little bit different here. We're all expecting, I think, a Rock'em Sock'em Robots barn burner over three rounds. But I wonder, will he just try in a takedown? I wonder, will he do yeah. something a little bit different against Fiziev? But also, do you... Do you want to do that? Because if I think if you're Gaethje, you go a bit, little bit more technical. You're playing into Gaethje's, or, or sorry, if you're Gaethje, you go a bit more technical. You're playing into Fiziev's game. Do you push that pace, go absolutely all out and try to push the cardio issues that we've seen with Fiziev in the Bobby Green fight and in the Dos Anjos fight as well? 
very interesting, but I don't know. I, I go with Fiziev. Fiziev is my uh, answer. I, I went long. I always go long. No, it's good. That's good. All right. Before I let you go, should I curb my enthusiasm on Ian Gary when I suggest that he's ready for top 15 competition? I feel pretty convicted in saying that he has a great chance to become a world champion in one of the UFC's most competitive divisions. I think he's elite right now. I think there are matchups in the top 15 that are favorable right now. Um, where is your level of enthusiasm for Ian Gary as we sit here early 2023? I, I try to temper it a little bit because I don't want to go overboard because, you know, the, the whole Irish thing and everything like that. But he I I interviewed Ian Gary before he made his professional debut and I've seen all these amateur fights and everything like that. And I've been excited about him for a long, long, long time. And I, I think we've got to the point where don't rush it now, maybe. You know, if you move him that one step too quickly, I think it might be an issue. I, I, I would love to see. I think he mentioned an interview he did recently, Nico Price. What a fight that would be. What an exciting fight that Perfect. would be. I would love to see that. Then maybe, you know, Brian Barberina and Gunnar Nelson are fighting next week. Give him the winner of that then after that, maybe. And then we can start talking about top 15 fights. No problem. Two, uh, he, I, I think what he needs next is a guy everyone knows. You know, he's fought some good guys so far, but a lot of people maybe have to, you know, go on Shardog and see who they are, kind of a thing. No one has to do that with Nico Price. No one has to do that with right, Gunnar Nelson. Right. No one has to do that with Brian Barberina. I think that's what he needs next. And uh, didn't move him on further uh, after that because, yeah, he he has top 15 written all over him. He has top five written all over him if things keep going uh, the way they do. But we've seen many fighters before like that and they haven't reached it. So he'll ha he'll have to knuckle down and, and uh, stay behind uh, Henry Hoof. He's a great gym over there. And I know he's yeah. been training with Leon Edwards as well when he's been back in uh, in, in the UK. So, um, yeah, he's some uh, he's some great training behind him. But uh, definitely has always been a top notch prospect and uh, he will continue to be. Tired of snooty wines and their old wine culture? Confused by words like malolactic fermentation? Yeah, we are too. So with 19 Crimes, you can do the fancy schmancy tilt-sip smell routine, or don't. 19 Crimes is the rebel of wine and culture, telling the stories of rogues and rule breakers who overcame adversities. From convicts banished to Australia, to the legendary icon Snoop Dogg himself, 19 Crimes wine is defiant by nature, bold in character, and always uncompromising. 19 Crimes, the official wine of UFC. Pick up in stores nationwide or online at 19crimes.com. Enjoy responsibly. 2024, Sonoma, California. It's a great answer, ready to go too with some possible future matchups for Ian Gary. And I think that makes more sense right now. Nico Price, probably number 25 in the world and uh, the name recognition is certainly there. All right, if you want more from Sean Sheehan on Twitter at Sean Sheehan BA, Severe MMA, SureDog.com. Very much appreciate you, brother. Enjoy the pay-per-view this weekend. I am still sitting on my two tickets, so I know you can get credentialed and you're probably more connected than I even know. But if you change your mind, my two tickets are yours this weekend, okay? Uh, I, I book my flights now. <laughs> no, all right. Got we'll it. talk. Sean Sheehan. Thanks for Always, Great stuff. Always. Good stuff from Sean Sheehan here on the Anakin Florian podcast. I did think it was interesting when I went on Teddy Atlas's show earlier this week, Kenny. <clears throat> when he said, you win the title, you become 30% better. And I don't know if he was attributing that quote to someone, but in part, he was piggyback piggybacking upon something that I had said, which is to suggest that like Leon Edwards became better as soon as he walked out of that arena. Now, maybe I lean too much into the aesthetic on Instagram, how he it feels like he's taking his strength and conditioning to a whole new level. But to what extent do you subscribe to the theory that when you become the champion, you become 20 to 30 percent better? 
I, I think it is different for everyone. I will I will use my own story to to answer that though. Uh, when I was fighting, I, I wanted to know. I, I wanted to uh, fight the best guys, but I didn't know that I wanted to be. A, I didn't know that I would be a world champion. I wanted to be a world champion, and I think I was always waiting for that championship uh, moment to pull through. And I always felt I was on the. If I could get over that hump, that uh, absolutely, I would. I would get that in my mind, confidence-wise, um, for my training of what I was doing, um, for my approach, for for my next fight. I always knew that, or I felt like it would have made me at least thirty percent better for sure. Um, uh, I, 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 that was like one of the big things for me, um, and I definitely believe that to be true for a lot of fighters. You, you are, you don't know that you could be a world champion, but you're trying to. And I think getting to that moment means so much. And I think it proves so much to yourself that it gives you this uh, insane amount of confidence. Um, And yeah, I I, I felt like that would have been the case for me. So that was surprising to hear that with Rashad. That's, uh, That's interesting. It is interesting. And it's a longer form conversation. But when Kenny fought Joe Stevenson, if you don't know it, UFC 91, in 2008 underneath Randy Couture and Brock Lesnar. It was one of the biggest fights of Kenny's career. And there was so much pressure on Kenny because felt like he was being groomed as the number one contender yet again. And he knew if he won this fight, he was going to be fighting for the belt and you didn't just win the fight, but you dominated huge showcase fight, massive pay-per-view. And I just have to think going home after that fight, your confidence was probably on a completely different level, but you also are not yet the champion. And Knowing right. you the way I know you, you're thinking about all the work that probably you just laid out for yourself just by winning that fight, you know. But uh. totally, totally, man. All right. Well, hope you're getting ready for UFC 286. It is just a couple of days away. The welterweight championship to be decided in this historic third matchup between Leon Edwards and Kamara Usman. Not sure who you think is going to come out on top, but you can place your bets. Not now, but right now on DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. And new customers can bet just $5 to get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Also, all users can take the MMA action to another level with DraftKings Same Game Parlays. Just download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Use code AFPOD. Bet $5 on UFC 286 to get $200 in bonus bets instantly. That's code AFPOD only at DraftKings Sportsbook. 21 plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New York. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Bonus is issued as bonus bets. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash MMA terms. So Kempfo and I don't live in Massachusetts anymore, but sports betting is now legal in Massachusetts as of just a few days ago. To that end, let us make some selections and get to our main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. And it. The time is most definitely Florian. I finished fights! I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. Big gun Brian Petrie. Let's go. It's good to see you, brother. Hey, boys. How are we doing? So my twin brother felt like I should issue you an on-air apology okay. for last week. So nobody's happier for your success than me and Ken Flo, okay? I'm not sure anybody pumps out the MMA Takes podcast as much as I do, right? Correct. So 
I would be expectant that if you go on Sirius XM satellite radio, that they would maybe promote our podcast. Sure. And so I guess my venom should have been directed at them, but I got in like a major fight with my twin brother oh, about no. this because he thought my venom was directed at you. No. So I'm just here to apologize if you sort of felt that, you know, I, um, but you know, my, my serious XM boycott boycott continues through international fight week, whether my twin brother likes it or not. Listen, <laughs> I come from a long line of ball busting. I mean, literally that's all me and my stepfather do that. Instead of giving each other hugs, we insult each other. So I liked it because I froze when he goes, Brian Peachy from MMA takes podcast at Brian Peachy MMA. I'm like, wait, shit, hold on. No, I'm yeah. Huh. I mean, yes. But I'm of also course. from another bigger show, which is what most people know me from. So I kind of froze a little bit. Uh, but no, thank you. Listen, no one rides hard for me than John Anik behind the scenes, on camera, whatever. I, I love it. I, and, and thank you for Jason Anik. What a lovely oh, human being hey. to have my back like that. Thank you, Jason. I mean, I can only be the president of Team Flory, and it sounds like Jay is like the president of Team Petrie because he came at me pretty hard. Um, But you can also catch Brian Petrie in advance of UFC 286 on MMAfighting.com, and he'll also be on VEASAN's show on Saturday with Dave Ross and Matt Brown, I believe, uh, getting you primed for UFC 286. Let's do it. So I'm going to update the standings, but before I'm going to do that, I just quickly wanted to get your thoughts on Marab Dwalish Willie because I got Sean Sheehan's thoughts and certainly you heard from Ray Longo and Matt Sarah a few days ago. No point of comparison for me, man. This dude's the real deal and uh, on a championship trajectory to be sure. To what extent were you blown away by Marab last Saturday? I mean, extremely blown away. Most cappers, they don't like being wrong, right? They get chirped at and they get very sensitive. Hey, you know, blah, 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 blah. you know, I want the heat. I was wrong. I picked Jan. I thought the fight was going to be different. My pre-fight read was wrong. And we're sitting there watching the fights. And I had a pretty good night betting, right? And I had Yawn. I had Yawn by decision. And as the fight's going on, I'm really quiet. My wife goes, oh, no. Oh, oh no. You're losing a lot of money, aren't you? Who, who do you got? Who, who should we root for? And it was it has nothing to do with me being mad. I was blown away. That was her career-changing performance. That's like Mario when he gets the mushroom. He leveled up Marab. The, the Aldo fight was a big fight, but he didn't look as good as he that. He was striking. He was inter, uh, interrupting Jan striking with his takedowns, 49 takedown attempts. Could look like he could have won another five rounds. I was in awe. And that's my biggest problem as a capper is I'm a fan first. So the money aside, I was blown away by Marab's performance. Um, no one's going to want to fight that guy at 135. I mean, it's crazy. Who's who's signing the dotted line to fight him? And right. all the smarter people than me, like Kenny, got him at plus money, which is insane because I don't see that happening anytime soon either. So just overall, just an incredible level up performance by Marab. And uh, I couldn't be happy for him. Seems like a nice guy. Obviously kind of family of the podcast with Ray and stuff. So, right. I mean, just unbelievable. And an unbelievable battle for airtime between Ray Longo and Matt Serra on our Monday show. So much so that we didn't get to acknowledge Alexander Volkov, who, by the way, Ken Flo changed his pick to uh, yes. to tail Petrie there. You guys had Volkov plus 130. We didn't talk about Nikita Krilov. Kenny, I don't know the jujitsu world, but I'm just saying, like, I'm avoiding fighting Nikita Krilov if I'm a light heavyweight contender. I just feel like he is so problematic in so many different areas of the game. And uh, just want to get your two cents on that fight. I know you did pick Krilov. The dude just wants to fight you. Oh. He wants to get right in your face and just scrap. Let's get right to the point here. Who's who's the better man? Uh, and, and I love that about him. Uh and I don't. I think it was the right approach because I don't think Span was ready for that level of pressure and pacing. You know, Span Span could get down to dirty too, 
But I think over time, I think he started to lose confidence. He was going for a bunch of submissions, was losing position, and Krilov just was kind of kept getting out of those positions. Span was getting more frustrated, uh, and because of it, he lost confidence, and Krilov started to take over. Uh, just kind of fell right into that triangle, man. And Krilov is a finisher through and through. Uh, that was a wild fight, dude. And then, BP, yeah. you had Saeed Nurmagomedov over Jonathan Martinez. It sounds to me, based upon our text chain, that both you and Kenny actually thought Saeed Nurmagomedov did enough to win the fight. You went three units, yeah, right? Testicles on the table. Yes. So that's a huge swing, right, yeah. from plus 300 to minus 600. So a $900 swing for you. Uh, right. Your thoughts on that fight? Uh, listen, I, I might have had some green color glasses. I was very upset initially. Kenny rewatched it and said, I think Saeed won. I still think he won, but it was razor close. That third round was everything. I thought it was 1-1 going into the third. I, I thought Saeed won the third. Um, but no bones about it. Saeed faded a little bit. Jonathan Martinez is a dog in there. He defended oh, yeah. a lot of stuff, stuff that I did not think he'd be able to defend. Um, so that was a poor read on my part, putting three units on the table. So I'm not going to blame the judges on that one, but I do think he won the fight. But, uh, you know, you know, it is what it is. You know, I'm going to have to dust myself off and win some fights here. Come on. If this podcast is still going strong in 10, 12 years when I'm done, I can't wait to have a team. Because if you remember... Petrie and I are a team this year, and Cody and Kenny are a team. So mm -hmm. I'm taking the Petrie yeah. punishment, however it falls. But, yeah. dude, I'd be doing like five-star max plays every week. It would be so <laughs> reckless. I'd be like five grand down in mid-March. Yeah, yeah. Real quickly, I yeah. want to get Kenny's thoughts before I update the standings on this inverted triangle by Davey Grant. Certainly, I remember one of the first pro MMA fights I ever called. It was Toby Imada getting Jorge Masvidal with that inverted reverse triangle choke. But Rafael Unsau... Got as high as number three in the world, Kenny. He won seven in a row from 2011 to 2014, right? That included a win over TJ Dillashaw by split decision. Set up a rematch with Dillashaw, if you recall, at UFC 200. And he lost that fight. And, and Asanso ends up closing out his career, having lost five of six. But even after the Dillashaw loss, won four more in a row, included a win over Aljamain Sterling and a win over Rob Font. So wanted to throw a little Asanso appreciation out there and also get your thoughts on that inverted triangle because you certainly don't see that every day. Uh, Sun Tzu is a stud, man. Um, you know, called a lot of his fights, uh, knew him and his brother from way before when they weren't in the UFC, just doing jiu-jitsu tournaments. Um, and it was, it was good to see a, a Sun Tzu uh, have his retirement moment and all that stuff deserves a ton of respect. Um, uh, if you're a UFC fighter, John, you're looking for, at the very least, like a signature win. And, and that next level uh, up from that uh, would be, some kind of highlight, right? Like that highlight knockout or submission. That was Davy Grant's moment right there because you look at the whole sequence. He went, he hurt a Sun Sal. Sun Sal's rocked. You know, he shoots in for that takedown and he goes right into one of the most technical and unusual submissions in the game. Gets that inverted triangle, just a thing of beauty, puts him out. Uh, man, I, I was loving that. And, and Davy Grant, man, he's. Again, one of these guys, one of the nicest dudes ever. I've known him uh, a, a long time as well. So to see him get that kind of signature win over, uh, you know, a, a legend really in a Sun Sal was really cool. Brian, it seemed like it came shortly after Davy Grant was deducted a point yeah. for a fence grab. And Eric Nixick took issue with the fact that a Sun Sal was not re-granted the position, right. right? If you're a Sun Sal, retroactively, certainly rather... Rather, the position that have that point deducted, but I thought that was interesting as well. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, listen, Davy Grant, that's the that it was theatric. You know, he's down a point, he might lose. He's getting taken down a lot. You know, since I was winning the fight, essentially. And then he comes back and he pulls that out. I mean, unbelievable. Could happen to a nicer guy and and uh in in a in a stud. I doubted him. I was like, because he missed a lot of time with injuries and he came off the ultimate fighter and he and I was like, this guy's still in the roster. I was dead wrong because he's the only one that's given Adrian Eza an actual fight. I mean, that was I mean, he some people thought he might have won. So right. uh kids nails. I love it. All right, let us update the standings. Kenny Florian's lead is now $1,315. Okay, okay. So Team Florian was minus 505. Team Petrie was minus 1020. We mentioned the three-unit sting on Saeed Nurmagomedov. Kenny switch up after the weigh-in. He did not like Alexander Romanov on the scale. Pivots to Volkov. Nicely done, Ken Flo. Yep. I don't know that you've ever missed when you've pivoted off of one guy to another. Uh, and then Kenny, the big one, was, of course, his hit on Marab Dwalish willie a plus 185. So Florian in the black for the week, plus 115. Shaves his overall nut down to minus 390. Petrie minus 685 on the week, minus 1705 overall. We've had a lot of response from our listeners in terms of how to make this more accurate in terms of your year end number. I am not going to allow you guys to pick totals over under four and a half rounds on the main event. Not going to do totals, at least right now. Maybe I'll change my mind. Um, but in an effort to have a more real number for you guys at the end of the year, heretofore, you will be allowed to abstain from picking one fight per week. So we still would like your analysis, but you don't have to bet every fight. And with that, we will get in to UFC 286. I'll take a quick pick here. Joanne Wood minus 165. Luana Carolina is plus 140. Now, this fight you guys were picking because it was going to be the feature bout on pay-per-view, at least on a first draft of the fight card that I saw. Guess I'll have to ask my man, Zach Candido, as to the changes. But now this is the third fight of the night and not third from last, Brian. Probably mm -hmm. makes more sense, a more appropriate slot, just given the the stakes, both of these women coming off at least one loss in a row. Which way are you going here, Joanne Wood, Luana Carolina? Yeah, I love Joe Wood, Joanne Wood. You know, she's been she's been around forever. Problem is, is I just feel like she doesn't want it anymore. She seems just a little listless in there. She doesn't seem like she wants it. And Luna Carolina coming off the horrible knockout over Molly McCann, but a fight where it was competitive. My biggest problem with Luna Carolina is, is her volume. She doesn't throw enough. I think if she threw enough, she's got great kicks, great hands, long for the division. I think she'd be really, she'd do really well. Take down offense has, has shored up, had been a problem in the past. Don't see that being a problem against Joanne Wood. Hate picking against Joanne Wood, but I got to go with the dog here in Luna Carolina. I think she's going to decision her, uh, maybe even finish her on the feet, um, but I, I just think she's a little bit longer. All right, PP likes Luana Carolina. Joanne Wood's lost three in a row, Ken Flo, last of which came about a year ago. Petrie was in the building, came against the now champ Alexa Grasso. Uh, Carolina felt Molly McCann's power her last time out. That was 364 days ago when she makes the walk Saturday at the O2. You going Carolina the dog or uh, JoJo Wood the favorite, Ken Flo? You know, I, I think it, it, a lot of that's fair of what Brian said. Um, however, I, I do think Luana lacks a little bit of potency with her striking. Like there's nothing that, where I could say, you know, she can go out there and really – uh, you know, juice up that fight to the point where she where she can really take over. I I think this is a fight where JoJo um, can let her skills shine a little bit more. Um, you know, I, again, it, a lot of it does depend on how badly she wants this. I think that is accurate. Um, but I, I think JoJo can pull this off. So uh, give me wood. Hey. Give me wood. Got to think, Ken Flo, that she's put in 
some serious work having dropped her last three. Yeah. All right. Featured prelim at featherweight. Jack Shore minus 490. Makwan Amirkani plus 390. So Shore, a near five to one favorite, Brian, in his divisional debut. He is seven and zero in this weight class for the record. Started as a pro at 145, 2016, 2017, then moved down, became the Cage Warriors Bantamweight champion. Then he loses for the first time in the UFC to Ricky Simone, and now he's moving on up to face Amir Khani, who's about as UFC tested as it gets, Brian Petrie. Jack Shore, Mach 1 Amir Khani, who do you like? This is a tough one because I hate the line. I mean, Jack Shore, he's a great prospect. He 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 showed what he lacked in Ricky Simone. Simone's a fucking beast for the division. And uh, Jack Shore's got some tricky striking, doesn't throw enough. His volume's never high. Good takedown or good, good jujitsu takedowns, <clears throat> excuse me, are a little on the average side. Then you got Amir Khani, who's flashy at times, who gasses at times, who looks good at times. He's very unpredictable. It's hard to really pin this guy down. And, uh, you know, the, you know, Mr. Finland with all the chicks. I mean, if the guy could take the break from the chicks, he had some good cardio, I'd imagine. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you look at his topology pictures, just him with some chicks. But uh, this is a tough fight. Listen, I think Jack Shore is the better fighter here. But at the price, I don't know. And you, we play a game in this. You know, we play a game. And it might be worth it to take Amir Khani here. But I can't. I can't do it. I won't allow myself to do it. I'm going to pick Jack Shore. And this is one of the fights I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to abstain from. I'm not going to pick this one just because the line's too crazy. I can't predict Amir Khani. I just can't do it, even though I think Jack Shore is very good. I feel like a big pushback for not doing it, for, for restraining, but just, I, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Can't do no, it. No, and that's why yeah. we have injected abstinence in sure. this equation because right. we don't want you guys to be in a position where you have to lay minus 490 to Jack Shore and to tell the audience that when yeah. you're not recommending at all that they lay a price like that. Kenny, 14th UFC start for Mr. Finland, Makwan Amir Khani. He's seven and six, but five of those losses, just hear me out. JSP Jonathan Pierce, who I think is future top five, right. the undefeated Lerone Murphy, who fights this weekend, the 19-1 and Arnold Allen, Edson Barboza, and Shane Burgos. So it's not as though his record is littered with bad losses. For the most part, Amir right. Khani has beaten the guys he's supposed to beat. Vegas says he's not supposed to beat Jack Shore. What do you think? This is why BP is so smart. Um, <laughs> I, I think that uh, Amir Khani is, is very dangerous. He, he's got knockout power. He's got that wrestling background. I do think Jack Shore overall is the more technical fighter. Uh, I, I think he wins this fight by decision, maybe by submission. And we've seen Amir Khani uh, susceptible to uh, losing position uh, in the past. Uh, so I'm, I'm going with Jack Shore on this one as well. And I'm with you, BP. It's not worth the bet though. Uh, The the line is just way too heavy for Jack Shore. Almost five to one. Can't do it. Not going to do (laughs) it. We'll see. And again, you guys reserve the right, uh, as long as you tag the podcast. So Cody can repurpose that you do reserve the right to change your pick. All right. Pay-per-view main card opener in the middleweight division. Marvin Vittori minus 265. Roman Delizze plus 225. Delidze, 6-1 and one of the UFC coming off a stoppage of Jack Hermanson last December. Bri, I guess if anybody can knock out the hot-headed Marvin Vittori, maybe it's this fucking guy. What do you think yeah. of these 285ers? Love this fight. This fight's got some juice to me. You know, Marvin Vittori, blockhead for a reason. You know, the guy is a little delusional at times with his own skills, but he left California. He's in Vegas. Now he's training with the crop at 85. Chris Curtis, Sean Strickland, Delice was a part of that camp. I'm not sure if he did his camp in Georgia. A lot of moving parts going on here, but Vittori looks to be in great shape. His problem is, he's, he's, and it's not even a problem. He's just good. 
right? But he's not great anywhere. He can take you down. He's a big, strong guy, but only got one submission in the UFC to his name, I believe. Maybe one other one. But Carl Roberson was the last one he did. Pillow hands doesn't really knock him out. Has good boxing. Drop Jack Hermanson. Um, but you know he can. He has a volume guy. He's got good cardio. You can't put him out. Then you got Delete. He's just a fucking wild man, right? Strikes aren't the, the most prettiest out there, right? He throws heavy hands. Can knock you out from different weird angles. And his ground game's really good. I mean, what he did to Jack Hermanson on the ground last time out was so impressive because Hermanson's a stud on the ground, no chump. That I'm like, whoa, this, and, and that was off his back that he did that, you know, a couple sweeps that he hit, and it was very impressive. Um, man, yeah, I mean, I love this fight so much. And listen, but Tori could go three rounds, piece up Delete, uh, win a decision, you know, do his yell at the end and call for a title shot or whatever he does. But that's boring, right? Let's not be boring. Let's go dog here. Let's go Delete. Say, uh, I don't think he can finish him because I do trust Marvin Tori's durability. But it'd be, it'd, be, it'd be something else if you could get this guy out of there. But give me Delice here. I just think he's he's got something to him. I mean, I don't know if you guys remember his, his fight with John Allen. He looks at the corner and goes, hey, you want me to, you want me to drop for a heel hook? Drop for a heel hook, doesn't get it, right? Doesn't get it. The cockiness of this guy to be like, hey, you want me to hit him with my move and not even finish it? I love the guy. I love him. I'm going Delice. He's a hot hand. Could be undefeated. Uh, that Trevin Giles fight was a little suspect, in my opinion. So, yeah, give me Delice, man. And I have said there's no fighter that intimidates me more in a fighter meeting setting than Roman Delize. I was so happy to see that he's not on our list, actually, uh, for London this week. So, Kenny, Marvin Vittori is still 29 years old, despite all of the MMA accomplishments. Roman Delize is 34. And just one number for you. Since 2016, seven years, only two men have beaten Marvin Vittori, Israel Adesanya and Robert Whitaker, and neither man could put him away spanning those 55 minutes. So, yeah. certainly the fights that he has had to win Paolo Costa and others. He has won favored to win again here against Delize. How do you see it playing out? Well, Vittori is very consistent. You know exactly what he brings to the table. You know exactly what he's going to do. And, and he can be very difficult uh, to stop him from doing that. Um, I, I think that, uh, yeah, you know, he's the favorite here. No question about it. But if, if, if you beat Vittori, I think you kind of have to beat him by by submission or by knockout. And I think Delice absolutely has the ability to do that. I, I I think Vittori is underrated as a grappler a bit, but I do think that Delice is much better with his submission game. And I think he could catch I think he can catch Vittori with something, whether it's a leg attack uh, or maybe take the back. Um, he does a lot of unusual and unorthodox uh, moves on the ground, and that can throw off uh, a style like Vittori, who's very straightforward, needs that kind of rice and beans style of, of fight for him. And if it goes that way, then uh, Vittori wins this fight. But I think there's enough value on Delice at, what is it, plus 225? That's right, kid. To go his way. I, I think that... Um, I think he can catch him in a submission, some kind of crazy transition, or maybe even catch him with one of those wild strikes because Vittori gets a very emotional in there sometimes. So um, I think it's worth it. Delice is um, he's an interesting, an interesting cat who I think could surprise a lot of people. I think the matchmakers are expecting fireworks. Yeah. Putting him in that slot to kick off the pay-per-view. We'll see if uh, Roman Delize can oblige against my good friend Marvin Vittori. All right. Huge fight of flyweight for the women, especially given the new champ now atop the division. You got 12th-ranked Casey O'Neill, minus 180. Number eight, Jennifer Maya, plus 155. Can you imagine how pissed Casey O'Neill would have been if JoJo Wood was on this pay-per-view? I know they're teammates, but uh, 
you know, this is the fight that deserves to be on pay-per-view. 100%. These are the two women within the top 12. O'Neal is coming off a major knee surgery, but she is 9-0. Last win came February 2022 against Roxanne Modafferi. 20 professional mixed martial arts wins for Jennifer Maya. She's 5-5 five and five in the UFC, though. Fought for the belt back in 2020, as you know, Brian Petrie. Yes. You going Maya or O'Neal, kid? This is a tough one because I like Casey O'Neal. I've been on Casey O'Neal's side since she's debuted in the UFC. Uh, she's easy on the eyes. Let's just put it that way for your boy. And uh, she's a great fighter. More importantly, she's a great fighter. I like watching her fight. But coming off a knee surgery like that scares me, right? She hasn't really fought elite competition yet. She had a split decision win over Roxy Manafari, which, I mean, that's fine. You know, I thought, I thought she won, but it, 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 it got close towards the end there. I, I like all her skills, but Jennifer Maya, if you – that one round she put against Valentina stuck in my brain. Like she had a really good round against Valentina. And I'm like, can this, can she do this for five rounds? She couldn't, but I'm like, if she could really put something together, she's, she's, she's good. Um, strike counts low takedowns are low, but when you're giving me a plus number against someone coming off a really bad knee injury like that, we've seen it before guys are, you know, fighters are a little unsteady coming back and it's only been a year. I mean, I don't know if she's rushing or not, like hopefully right. not, but it hasn't been that long of a time. Um, and this is her biggest fight to date, in my opinion, uh, name wise. So I'm going to go dog. I'm going to go Jennifer Maya here. I hate picking against Casey O'Neill because I think she's, I think she's really good. She's tough. Uh, she's a, she's got a little attitude on her. She's nasty in there, which I love, but, uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go Jennifer Meyer. Yeah. Kenny Casey O'Neill, maybe not getting the shine she deserved over the last several weeks in these longer form flyweight conversations about Aaron Blanchfield and Alexa Grasso certainly has that chip on her shoulder. Does feel like a pretty quick turn after a major reconstructive knee surgery. That said, O'Neill about a two to one favorite here this weekend. Your thoughts. Yeah, that's the big question mark, right? With O'Neal and that knee surgery, um, it, it can take, or I think it does take, like two years, two years and a half if, if you have uh, a cadaver, uh, you know, in, installed into your knee uh, for it to be like actually 100%. So that, that definitely takes time. However, I think O'Neal is nasty enough to get through this. Um, this is one of those where I may reserve the right to to change my pick when I see the weigh-ins and some other stuff. But um, I like Casey O'Neal here. And, and, you know, Brian has a, a big-time point here with Jennifer Maya, who has, you know, faced much tougher competition. I think uh, she has uh, a good set of skills as well to pose some problems here for O'Neal. But I think if O'Neal can utilize that high-pressure style and back Maya up, um, I, sometimes Maya will shut down her offense as well a little bit. So um, I, I think that's going to be the case. Uh, let's go with Casey O'Neal. All right, some dissension on the two women's fights today. You love to see it. That brings us to a featured bout at 170 pounds. Gunnar Nelson minus 380. Brian Barbarina is plus 310. 17th UFC appearance for Barbarina. He had a huge 2022. He beat Robbie Lawler, beat Matt Brown, did lose to Rafael Dos Anjos in December. Kenny, I'm going to lead with you on this one. Gunnar Nelson still a little bit enigmatic for me, just as far as like, I don't know where his ceiling is because... There have been all these injuries and bouts of inactivity. 11 years on the roster, 14 UFC fights. Hasn't lost since 2019 to Gilbert Durinho Burns, but he's only fought once since 2019. He beat Takashi Sato, a guy he was prohibitively favored to beat. Um, but he's been around. I mean, he made his UFC debut when he was 24 years of age. So Gunnar Nelson again with a bloated number next to his name, minus 380 against Brian Barbarino. I like Gunny here. Um, yeah, I, I think 
I think Gunner's got that style, right? Similar to an RDA, uh, that's going to pose problems for a guy like Brian Barbarina. And I, I know that uh, Barbarina said he's been, you know, kind of going camp to camp. He's been training more consistently now, and that is one of the toughest dudes I have ever seen compete inside the UFC. I, I mean, his chin, his durability, um, his heart. He's an absolute stud, an absolute beast. And if Gunner decides to trade in the pocket, even for just a couple exchanges against Barbarina, that would be the worst mistake he could make because Barbarina is going to take over that fight and could potentially knock him out after that. Um, but I think Gunner um, is going to you know, have that wide karate stance, stay on the outside, pick his shots. But all of that really is to get the takedown and put Barbarina on his back. That That's what he wants. And I think that's what he's ultimately going to do there. Um, I, I'm going to go with Gunner Nelson uh, here. I, I'm going to put, I'm going to put an extra unit Ooh. on Gunner uh, as well. Um, I, I just, I, I like, I like his style here. Uh, maybe a little bit of a gamble because Barbarina is very dangerous and he's hard to put away at times, but uh, I like Gunny here. See what it does to me and Petrie when yeah. Ken Flo goes two Ooh. units like we don't even know what to do with ourselves. Ooh. Kenny will also, <laughs> by the way, lead us on the main event coming up here in about three minutes. Brian Petrie, Gunnar Nelson, Brian Barbarina, who do you like? I tell you what, if Ken Flo just opened up some books. He would move. So this guy would pay off his house. Listen, I was I was going to lock him up myself. Like I love this fight for Gunny. We saw the blueprint where Barbara Arena against RDA, which I, we, Kenny and I both predicted right. RDA is going to take him down. People sleep on RDA's jiu-jitsu. And Gunnar Nelson's jiu-jitsu is great, especially when he's on top. He flows so well. He's a little undersized for 170, but he's so dominant on top. And this guy had a ground fight with Damian Maia. Lost, but didn't get his neck taken, didn't get his arm taken. Like, this guy's special. I remember being a dork way back when he was 20, 21, 22 years old, hammering on the underground before he made his UFC debut. Like, Gunnar Nelson's the next big thing or whatever. This guy is, and John's right. There's a lot of inconsistency and stuff like that. But I think this is this number is obviously high. I know we're we're, we're partnering with DraftKings. I would love to see DraftKings set a line for like over three takedowns for Gunny. So I think he can get over three takedowns. Maybe even a Gunny special prop bet by sub. So I think he's taking a sub here. I'm with Kenny here. I'm not going to double lock him like Kenny. Did. I'm going to let Kenny have his moment here. I love when he fucking nuts on the table there. I'm not going to steal that shine here, but I'm on Gunny as well. And we can affect change as far as the DraftKings Sportsbook is concerned, right? As Cody says in our chat room, we can make that happen. I got a direct yeah. line to Johnny Avello, the director of the Racing Sportsbook for DraftKings Sportsbook. Yeah. So you want a number on the board, Brian Petrie? Let's we can make that happen. Let's get on the board. All right. <laughs> yes. Let us get to the co-main event. Probably the fight I was most curious to hear your predictions on today. This is a title eliminator in the lightweight division. Rafael Fazib, minus 230. Justin Gaethje, plus 195. So Fazib, born in Kazakhstan, fights out of Azerbaijan by way of Thailand. He's won six in a row since dropping his UFC debut. Gaethje, of course, your former interim champion. I'm not sure I've ever seen plus 195 next to his name. Probably right. for the Khabib fight, it was even bigger. But uh, Justin Gaethje, returning for the first time since the Charles Oliveira fight. May 7th of last year, does he have enough for Rafael Fazee? Brian Petrie, your mic is hot. This fight was kind of easy for me to break down and pick, which scares me. You know what I mean, John? John, you're a handicapper. You're like, oh, you, I'm seeing this so right. And you're like, wait a second. Should I fade myself here? That's how I feel like because I think uh, – excuse me. Say his name one more time so I don't fuck it up. Fazee. Fazee. I think Fazee is the best striker at 155, hands down. I think he is clean. I think he is technical. Volume a little low. 
cardio question marked a little bit. Anytime he's thrown over 100 punches with the Bobby Green fight, and he faded bad in that fight, right? Justin Gaethje throws 100 punches without breaking a sweat. That guy is just all action all the time, but he's looked so kind of off to me, right? He gets hurt in every fight nowadays. Chandler had him hurt this last time he won. Olvera slept him, dropped him three times with just clean technique. Olvera obviously one of the best in the world. But Fazeev is just clean with everything. His Brad Riddell fight was very impressive with me because they were training partners. I think Brad Riddell used to coach him or something like that. There was some kind of real relationship there. And it was a close fight, competitive fight. Riddell was, was wrestling a little bit. But Fazeev just just knocked him out, took him out, and, and made it look effortlessly. This guy's takedown offense is unbelievable, 92%. Justin Gaethje doesn't have a takedown in the UFC, so I don't think that's going to be a problem. But he does have wrestling um, I'm seeing Fazeev here. Fazeev by knockout all day long. I, that's that's what I'm seeing. I, I just think he's a little too clean. I think Gaethje's going to make it ugly. And I'm a Gaethje guy. I love Justin Gaethje. I just, what I've seen, if he gets in there with like really clean technique, he dips his head too much. He throws a little wild. He likes the inside clinches. And that's where Fazeev is, is, is some, works some of his best work, those elbows and that knockout of a Meccano. I mean, forget about it. Uh, yeah. this, guy's a, this guy's a real problem. And I think this is a coming out party for him. So uh, give me Fazeev. And to underscore the extent to which Rafael Fazeev is a problem, Justin Gaethje is a bigger underdog against this dude than he was against Charles Oliveira, right? And that number has not been bet to a point where that is no longer the case. We did ask a poll question for today's Anakin and Florian podcast of the four fighters atop the marquee. In whom are you most confident to get the win? 40% of respondents say Kamar Usman. 26% said Rafael Fazeev. Kenny, your thoughts on Fazeev? Minus 230 against Justin Gaethje in the co-main event. Well, Brian's right. Let, let's look. Let's look at it. Right, Fazeev. He's he's younger. He's he's fresher. He's got the better chin. Um, I think he's got more tools on the feet overall. Um, and that's exactly why I'm going with Justin Gaethje. Uh, I'm going <laughs> oh, with Gaethje here. Okay, no. this is why. This is why. Here's the only thing. Okay, is that I don't care who you are, what you've done. Justin Gaethje has the ability to hold your hand and walk through the garden of punishment with you. Sometimes you get out alive, but many times it's you that is buried in that garden. And I think Gaethje's going to find a way to drag Fazeev into a world where he's never been before. He comes from a Muay Thai background. And in Muay Thai, it's a kind of this like pacing and it's this dance and it slowly picks up and, it, you know, you can kind of coast even against very good Muay Thai fighters and you can kind of chill. And then the fourth and fifth rounds, things start to pick up. There's more clinching. Gaethje gets right to the point um, and and we're going to find out. And we haven't seen Fazeev in that kind of um, pressure environment, high pressure environment where he's exhausted and he's got to find a way to win. And I can't get that Bobby Green fight out of my head. That's the problem. If we're straight, if we're going straight up and these guys are even odds or Fazeev is up by a little bit and Gaethje's close, uh, a close underdog, I'm going Fazeev. But plus 195 for Gaethje, on a guy who, you know, in Fazeev, who does stay in the pocket and does get hit at times, you stay in there and you take a hook or two or a right hand from Justin Gaethje. He puts you to sleep. Give me Gaethje here. I, I like it. And Gaethje always surprises us when we least expect it. Give me Justin Gaethje for Man. some extra dog. 
Fire. I mean, we yeah. should play that for Justin Gaethje, actually, on the yeah. day of the fight and see if that <laughs> propels him to victory. All right, Ken Flo, keep that energy up. We're going right back to you here. Kamar Usman, All minus right. 240. Leon Edwards, plus 200. Kamar Usman was 15-0 and 0 to start his UFC career. He was making his sixth welterweight title defense when these two met for that second time at UFC 278 last August. He was moments away from breaking that Anderson Silver record and everything else, and uh, we all know what happened thereafter. Now Edwards, the champion, making the first defense of his title here at the O2, about three hours from Birmingham, England. Kamar Usman, Leon Edwards, who wins it? This is a tougher fight for me to pick in a lot of ways than Fazeev Gaethje. Um, Usman has a style that will always give a guy like Leon Edwards trouble. Um I think that if there's one guy who can come back from a devastating knockout in round five, it is Kamaru Usman. I I don't think he's going to have all those doubts that I think a lot of other fighters would have or that hesitancy that I think a lot of other fighters have. Usman is a champion for for a reason. He has that champion mindset. Um, Whether he wins or loses, he's always going to have that mindset, and he will always have my respect as one of the greatest welterweights to ever do it. Um, I think his wrestling is a big time problem. His ability to grind and win rounds is a problem. He has a very educated jab. Um, but, you know, he doesn't have that potency of, of a submission game or um, I, I don't think not against someone like Edwards, where he's got a striking game that is going to uh, be that difficult for Edwards to figure out. I think Edwards is a an extremely technical fighter in all assets and all aspects. Um, he, I think he is a, a very slick striker who can get Usman to throw and miss and counter. Uh, I think Edwards is going to have a renewed sense of confidence coming off of this win over Kamaru Usman. I think that he had a great start to that fight against Kamaru Usman. And I think, you know, it being at high altitude, I think it favors I think it favors Leon Edwards, uh, the fact that it's not at high altitude anymore. Because Kamara Usman, I, again, correct me if I'm wrong, he was you know, training at high altitude in Denver, also uh, in Utah as well for, for you know, a bit. So I, I think that, um, I don't know, Ed, Edwards had you know, a lot of disadvantages heading into that fight. The travel, he's got his hometown there. Uh, I think his preparation has been on point for this one. And I am going with Leon Edwards mm. uh, to, to win this fight. Um, I, I, again, it's not an easy pick for me. I would not be surprised to see Kamara win this one. But I think we have a different guy after this fight in Leon Edwards. I, I think he's got he's got a certain something, let's put it this way. Winning in that fashion, the way that he did, um, and it being in the UK, I, I like Leon here. Very interesting. Brian Petrie, you will have the final word. Kamara Usman, minus 240. Leon Edwards plus 200 right now on DraftKings Sportsbook. Who wins the welterweight championship of the world? So it's hard enough following Kenny, let alone Gaethje, and then now he's picking Leon Edwards. Uh, I'm sitting here going, oh, it's an easy fight for me to pick. He goes, yeah, well, I'm picking the underdog Gaethje. Take a big old dump on BP here. I love uh, it. I fucking love it. Uh, Listen, I'm a Kamar Usman guy. I have been since day one. I love the guy. I don't know why he gets so much shit. People say he's corny. I kind of know he talks like an R&B guy sometimes. He's got his little usher thing going on, and people are like, yeah, he's corny. I love his mindset, his mental, his skill. Well, I judge what I see in the cage. and He's got he's got swagger for days. I mean, the guy knows how to put an outfit together. Let's just put, you know what I mean? No doubt. Um, 
But the first the, the first fight obviously was was they both were young in the career. Wrestling happened. Second fight, Leon got that takedown, got Mount, won the first round. Very interesting there. Leon had relied after that Kamara fight had relied on wrestling a lot of his fights. You know, we saw a lot more grappling out of him. And then, you know, two through two through four, Usman shut him down. And then cardio obviously is king. No one faded, right? Even though Uz or um Edwards was dejected because I felt like he felt flat that night. He, his cardio was still there. I mean, if you were dead cardio, you're not throwing that high kick the way he threw it, right? Um, and this is interesting. I've always backed Usman. I've always won money on Usman, right? I've, I I have. I just I bet every single one of his fights blindly take Usman. I like the guy. This is throwing up some trepidation for me. This is a big pause for me because Leon Edwards is a lot better than I gave him credit for the first fight. The first fight in my own personal life, Max bet Usman. And, you know, that fifth round knockout, the only thing that saved it was John. To me, I, yeah, I lost a couple hundred bucks, but John's beautiful call, which is one of the best calls ever, saved it for me because I'm like, oh, this is special. And then obviously Leon's post fight headshot bang dead is amazing. Um, oh. Listen, uh, Kenny broke it down perfectly technically. I can't do that. I, I can't do what Ken Flo does. I'm just going to go with my gut. And my gut says this could be a lot closer fight, but I think when you get a close fight like that, I'm going to lean on wrestling and I'm going to lean on the guy who's proven that he can go five rounds throwing over a hundred strikes. He threw 83 in the first uh, Leon fight. I think he needs to double that up. He looked really good in the clinches. That's where he did his best work, body work, elbows when Leon was against the cage. And uh, Leon's going to come out like a bat out of hell in front of his hometown crowd. Uh, but I love the way Usman's carrying himself. I love the mental. I love everything he's saying. He handled that loss better than anybody I know. You know what I mean? Or in MMA. Yeah. Such class. And uh, I'm going to go with Usman, but I'm excited. The line's a little wide. I thought we were going to get a way better number for sure. So I am a little unsure about the line, but I'm going to take Usman. All right, good job, fellas. I can't wait to get over there. Last time I called a fight on UK soil was October 26, 2013. So it's been almost 10 years. We're very excited. Wow. We got to get on out of here, but don't yes. forget another episode of the Anakin Florian podcast comes your way on Monday. God willing, we'll recap UFC 286. And these two guys will be back, of course, to look at the massive main event coming up in San Antonio, Texas. Marlon Chito Vera and Corey Sandhagen will get the picks from the fellas probably as early as next Monday. Thanks to Brian Petrie on the ones and twos. Also to Sean Sheehan, our producer's Cody Merrow. Production assistant is Will Berger for BP for Ken Flo. I'm John Annex and so long for now. We will see you live on pay-per-view for UFC 286 this weekend. Yo later. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.